You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. I do like salmon a lot. We eat salmon Ugh, every week. That's disgusting. Salmon's my nightmare. What? Salmon is one of the worst tasting of all of the Lord's creatures. Okay. On Sabbath rest is countercultural. Yeah. Like that that in and of itself is like so like, wait, what? People still consider that or do that, you know? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope you're happy that you just kissed a college scholarship goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> To me, we're harming ourselves by trying to convince teenagers that following Christ is cool because when they find out that it is not and their faith is built on some semblance of acceptance by other people, then it will crumble. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm joined as usual by the lady who loves to swim upstream, our co-host, Mrs. Cassie Bryan. How are you doing today, Cassie? Well, you could call me a salmon. Because <laughs> you swim upstream? I do like salmon a lot. We eat salmon Ugh. every week. Our, every yeah. week? That's disgusting. Salmon's my nightmare. What? Salmon is one of the worst tasting of all of the Lord's creatures. Okay. Well. <laughs> Did we just like, lose our friendship? Is that well, it? Maybe because you just said that I swim upstream. I'm like, I don't know. Oh. Maybe it's not a direct um, oh, relationship to salmon I, for you. Yeah, I wasn't saying I hate you. I was saying I was connecting it to our topic. <laughs> We're countercultural, swimming upstream. Oh, I like it. Okay, great. Of course, <laughs> the woman who dances to her own beat, my wife, Mrs. Chelsea Griffin. How you doing today, Chelsea? Well, see, that feels like an attack on on my. And you're clapping. <laughs> yes, that I can't clap on beat unless someone is clapping above their head at a concert. But that person oh. is so clutch for me. This is great. I feel like I'm trying to swim upstream and dance to my own beat in this intro right now. Like I'm just trying to make it <laughs> it's happen. It's my fault. And, uh, for calling it <laughs> yeah, sen- no, it's sensitivities are high. Yeah, it's not. It's not anybody's fault. It's everybody's fault, and it's uh, my fault most of all, but definitely everybody's. Uh, yeah, there yes. we go. <laughs> all right. Well, I, and this is the beginning of season three, guys. What a great kickoff! What Woo-hoo! a great we're demonstration back. of our team chemistry as we all get sensitive with one another and, and think we're all being insulted. Maybe we're just we out of practice. In. Yeah. We haven't hung you out a ton this summer. Let's spend a couple minutes affirming each other. Cassie, what'd you do this summer that you loved? You always are traveling the world. Where'd you go? Well, I mean, we did get to travel the world, but I want to, the highlight of our summer was my brother's wedding. It was oh. so beautiful. He got married in Buena Vista, Colorado, and all of us were in the wedding. Maven was a junior bridesmaid. The other two nice. were flower girls. Eric was a groomsman, and we were just, we all participated. And I think it will go down as probably one of the greatest just things that we got to be part of as a family and celebrating him and his new wife. And we love her. And anyway, it was just highlight, highlight of my year. And then we also got to take the girls to Spain for a few weeks. And that was great. We got, we all got the stomach bug and that sucked. So yeah. Yeah. It was, was that early in the trip or at the end? Right in the middle, five days. We just fell like dominoes, just one after Uh. another at the beach, at the foothills of the Pyrenees mountains. I mean, I, Caught one of their vomits in my coffee cup in the car. Uh, I mean, it was just a whole, it was a whole thing. Sorry, listeners. If, no, you're fine. It's a parenting podcast. Everybody listening has been there. I can guarantee used to you. It. You can say blowout diaper. You can say vomit yeah. in a cup. Anything like that. It's not, it's not considered like a, a parental rating. It's just no. like, well, no, we got it. We got it. Everybody if knows, we're not talking about there. bodily fluids, we are not doing this right. Yeah, that's so. next season. We're doing an entire season on bodily fluids. It's season four. It's going to be incredible. What's your favorite? And then like, how do you I deal with it? I think I'm on it? sabbatical. 
Chelsea, what was your favorite thing this summer? Anything, I hope not bodily fluid Oh man, I thought you were going to ask me my favorite bodily fluid and I was going to say amniotic fluid. No, Uh, no. no. Labor (laughs) delivery joke. Yeah, okay. Um, Highlight of my summer. Man, I just loved hanging with my kids. Uh, For the first time ever, I played 18 holes of golf with my oldest son. And uh, wow, yeah, and he's ten, and I've been I've been waiting for uh, for a long time to be able to yeah. do that, and so that was super special to go and do that with him and have him enjoy it. And uh, he he holed one out from like sixty yards, and oh, yeah. uh, we were both that's just important, like, right? Oh yeah, we that's were like so a big pumped. deal. Yeah, it was really fun, and uh, we we got to do some camps this summer. We did some high school camps where Adam was preaching, yeah. and me and the boys were um, enjoying the amenities, and we did a family camp, and that was awesome. So I got a lot of pool time and a lot of time with these boys, and it was awesome. I love that. That's so great. We did have a great summer. Uh, I would love having you around so much more. Chelsea worked a lot less this summer than in summers past, and it was it was wonderful to have our family together doing so many things. Well, uh, this so fall, great. I am excited about our theme. It is not, for those who are going to be disappointed, I'm so sorry, it's not a bodily fluid season. Whew. We're doing a whole season on kind of this idea in Christendom of us being peculiar as parents, maybe just, and maybe as we prepare our kids to be so, just to be countercultural, that there's a, a course to this world, a wide path to destruction that we are called to walk differently than. The, the scriptures would call us to walk a narrow path that leads to life, a, a path that follows Christ as the way, truth, and the life, and that will make us different. And that is not always easy. And so we wanted to spend a lot of time this fall. Not every episode will be on something related to that, but a lot of them will on some apologetic themes, on some just uh, specific differences between us and the culture. Uh, This episode, as we kick off the season, we really just wanted to talk in general a little bit about counter-cultural parenting. Cassie, you're our resident uh, church worker in this area. As you're looking at the church that um, you lead, and obviously we can just we we can't assume this is true of churches everywhere but i bet it is anecdotally true of a lot of churches are you seeing families struggling with being different than the culture as they're trying to parent what are you what are you seeing on the ground and what you're doing oh yeah i mean it starts in my own home like we struggle to be countercultural if i'm being totally honest even within it, we we belong to an amazing christian private school and even within that like there are times where it feels like we're other than or we're making decisions that are swimming upstream and it feels awkward. And like, are we doing this wrong or are we, you know, it's, it's, it's always a good reminder that God is leading us and individually and we're all making choices that we believe are best for our families. And sometimes that looks the same as believers. We're like going together upstream and then sometimes we're like swimming up different streams and that's okay too. But um, I think if I had to be honest, I mean, of course I see this in families when it comes to, Technology, um, entertainment, uh, friendships, uh, sports, like there's all different areas. And we're going to tackle some of those this semester, right? But um, but when I look at our own lives, uh, it's like, I mean, culture, I love culture. I love movies and music and art and theater and all sorts of things. And so... I I find myself having to constantly kind of check my own spirit. And I think, you know... I feel like we could do a whole episode on the transcendentals, like truth, goodness, and beauty and how those help guide us and how we be part of culture and how we seek those three things out in culture. But all that to say, I think that knowing those have helped me and 
how to interact and be part of the world, but not of it, if that makes sense. So no, yeah. that's really, really good. Chelsea, one of the things I hear a lot, um, especially when I was in doing pseudometry full time, is people would talk about how this generation is different. And then other people would make the argument, no, this is just every generation has its own unique blend of the same thing. It's basically that, saying that like Christians have always had to be different. And other people would argue, no, 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 no. For this generation, it is a whole new ball game. As you're looking out there at the culture we're in right now, is there anything different right now than you think used to be, even just in your experience? When Maybe if you just wanted to compare you growing up to what we're seeing with uh, our kids' generation right now, or just in general, what is there a different movement in culture that we're addressing? I think the increased polarization makes it feel like the stakes are higher than it used to be. Uh, we yeah, used to sometimes see... Um, uh, elected political officials make exclusive claims about Christ because they were a Christian and it wouldn't necessarily get them canceled, right? They would People would accept that and say, oh, okay, well, they're a Christian, so that's what they believe. Um, things like that where it feels like now we're so divided in our culture that it feels like the stakes are higher rather than, you know, having this like respectful discourse. So I think it feels scarier for a lot of believers that if they um, stick to their convictions or if they even profess um, some of the things that we believe that have been true forever and that the church has been proclaiming forever. And now it feels like there's this like heavier consequence. Uh, But at the same time, it's like, is it different? No, not really. The, The church has always, has always felt like they were different than the culture. And the, yeah. the church has always had the charge to not be conformed to this world, right? That's right. And to look different. So the topics seem different and the stakes seem higher. Just the way it plays out seems a little different, but the commands God has given us haven't changed. The scripture hasn't changed. Yeah. And most importantly, the God we serve, the God we love, he has not changed. Um, his right. holiness yeah. hasn't changed. So maybe it feels different. But ultimately, is it? I don't really think so. Yeah, you just mentioned that the topics maybe are are different, or maybe they shift or in emphasis from generation to generation. What are the things that come to mind for you right now when you think about being different than the culture? What are maybe the categories that come to mind? Or as you've talked to moms, what are they dealing with as they're trying to parent? Uh, a, a, you know, at uphill, we're trying to parent against the flow. What are what are the topics and subjects that uh, we're we're tackling often? Um, I think, of course, some of the one that's at the forefront right now is is gender um, and sexuality. Those are two issues mm-hmm. that uh, are very divisive right now for people and uh, where people have a conviction that can cost them a lot socially or in their job or in their school. Um, even, you know, our kids go to a private Christian school and our headmaster has uh, gotten some really negative feedback from people um, who don't like us saying that God created people male and female and feel like that's not appropriate at a private Christian school. So those are those are two big ones, but all kinds of things. Uh, the mental health debacle that we're in where we have, I think before, I think people were anxious and depressed a long time ago too. Maybe they just weren't naming it. Maybe they weren't willing to navigate it. And maybe it was being numbed or medicated in a different way than we're doing it now. So maybe it's not that much different, but... Um, the way we approach those things is probably different than the culture, but um, those are those are big things that our culture is dealing with right now. Is how do we deal with the way we feel inside, whether it's about our body, our attractions, um, our emotions? It's a lot. 
Yeah. Adam, you did your your usual youth camps this summer. So you were preaching to junior high kids and high school kids for a few weeks uh, from all over Texas. Was there anything you saw in the youth culture that was really concerning? Yeah, I feel like every summer getting kind of back into youth ministry a little bit as the Lord's continued to let me do some of these camps, which is really gracious at my age. I don't feel like I'm I feel like I'm becoming more the angry old man unless the the cool no. young youth pastor. But part of that is, it, it, this kind of connects with this whole talk. Not kind of, it directly affects this. For a while now, and I don't, I can't speak to it in generations before, for as long as I've known student ministry, and I've done some form of student ministry now for 20 years, there's been this movement within Christian church to make going to church cool, to hire somebody cool to lead the student ministry, to do programs that are cool for teenagers, to do camps that are cool. You want these kids convinced that following Jesus is going to be cool. What's hard about that is if you actually read the Bible, there is nothing in there that's saying, hey, you know what's cooler? You know what's cooler than the culture? Following Jesus. No, there's so much opposed to that, saying, no, you're not going to follow the course of this world. In other words, if the culture gets determined what is cool, what is popular, don't expect Christianity to fit into that same category. So uh, to me, we're harming ourselves by trying to convince teenagers that following Christ is cool because when they find out that it is not and their faith is built on some semblance of acceptance by other people, then it will crumble. They'll get to college and realize, oh, it's not cool. This was always based on following something that all my friends were doing or that I got accolades for knowing or following. And they'll find out, no, I needed to be prepared to be resilient, to be more like armor of God, warrior-esque against spiritual warfare. Instead, what I got was, no, we can be just as fun as the world, but without alcohol and without cussing. And you go, well, there's a reason people love alcohol and cussing. You know, there's a reason people, the human heart loves sin and the human heart is going to think sin is cool. So I don't want to juxtapose Jesus against sin and since sin will will win in some sense, sin will never win. But uh, those who do not love Jesus will not think his people have some cor- have cornered the market on what is culturally awesome and savvy. In fact, I think we're inc- increasingly alienated, which I believe is good for the church. <laughs> uh, the, the marginalization that you can't yeah. just have like this kind of false kind of clinging on to a church because you think it's kind of cool to go. No, it, it's not going to be cool to go to church and be part of a church. And so what I see at youth camps a lot is that pressure from youth ministers to convince teenagers this is the cool thing to do. And then from teenagers, of course, I'm seeing all the stuff you're talking about, Chelsea. I'll have kids confess all kinds of things to me, stuff, honestly, that I'm hearing now that I never used to hear about, certainly about gender confusion. But even uh, this summer, I had a kid confess to me, I'm not going to go into the details because it's his story to share, but confess to me some desires that he had that he was so uncomfortable sharing with anybody that the only reason he told me is because he knew he'd never have to see me again uh, because he was going to go home to some small town in Texas and didn't want Mm -hmm. uh, anybody to know what he's struggling with. And I promise you, the things he's struggling with, I did not even, they weren't even on the radar of the cultural stream 20 years ago. And so now because of the proliferation of the internet and YouTube, you can find things that kind of appeal to maybe a sin nature in you that, that wouldn't have before. So it's not new in the sense of like we created some new sin. No, it's still, for him, it's, it's lust. For him, it's still this desire to do something God has warned you against, but it's a new brand of it in some sense. Yeah, what you're saying reminds me of, I don't know if you remember, we were talking to a mom of a teenage girl who was saying that a lot of Christian moms are telling their daughters, um, modest is hottest. And she was like, yeah, that's not true. It's, <laughs> it's not hottest, but we have to remember that 
modest honors God. We're not going after hottest. So trying to convince our daughters that you'll be really hot if you dress modestly is really misleading. We're we're not trying to convince them to be the hottest. We're trying to convince them that they would have more joy and more peace if they obeyed God and and tried to walk within the boundaries that he's placed for them rather than saying like, if you just do this, you'll still end up the hottest. If that's the case, like you're saying, if, if following Jesus is cool and that's why you should do it, then we still worship coolness. We that's still right. worship oh, sure. favor with man. And so yeah. then you have the same God. Yeah. Well, that's part of the problem because then those youth groups become the young adults in our church looking for the same cool factor or the same things. And now yeah. we have these catchphrases. And this is like, we're all on a soapbox now, I feel like. But um, it's what we're really trying to say is Jesus is best. He's better right. than anything else. Mm. And we've replaced right. best with cool or whatever. And it's like not that falls short to what he is yeah. and say with modest is his ways are higher and he calls us to this yeah. and his ways are higher than ours. And so I just think that we've, we've thrown, I don't, we're just trying to, I don't know. It's like in trying to make Jesus look better. Right. Yeah. God does not need that from us. No. He doesn't need right. us to make him something better than he is. If he is truly steadfast in his mercy and love towards people, there is nothing better. The problem is we have desires that are twisted by sin to want something different than God. And you see that, yeah. then you see that the people of Israel, right after they see incredible miracles, they can say, well, God has lingered for a month. Therefore, we're yeah. going to go and do something else. We're creating our own God. We're going to do something totally different because yeah. their desires were twisted by sin. And we see the same thing now. We see whether it's cool or whether it's hot, whether it's yeah. fashionable, whatever the thing, in our, whether it's wealth. I mean, we're not talking a ton about wealth here, but wealth is a huge deal in our culture. And people want to find every excuse to say, you know, Jesus, um, Jesus uh, must have blessed me with this wealth. Well, maybe, I think is the right answer. Yeah. Maybe. He, he definitely, everything you have is his, if that's what you want to say. I saw you point at me when you said fashionable. That was like, <laughs> that was a very direct comment, Adam Griffin. Yeah, I really, you need to tone down the fashion a little bit. I care, I care, guys. <laughs> she was a fashion, she was a fashion major for like two years. Don't that's what got me on this podcast was my, was yeah. my fashion major. <laughs> that's right. She's, she's uniforming us for our uh, team photo shoot, I'm sure. Well, it's a lot of things, right? There's a lot of things that are going to set us apart. It's, yeah. it's not just cool. It's not just hot. It's literally our beliefs will set us apart. Like we believe different things than the culture believes. And because of that, our morals will set us apart, what we think is right and wrong. Because of that, our goals will set us apart. What we seek for our kids, what we seek for our family will be different. Our virtues, our identity, and then our methods to get there, our creed, our finances, the choices we make, where we go, what we watch, what we listen to, how we spend our time, what we spend our money on. All these things are going to be different. They all kind of add up to the, it's the lens through which we see the world as Christians, and the way we view ourselves, yeah. the relationship we have with God, the mission in this world, it's going to be different than the people around us who don't follow our God. And it should be. There should be a sense where I'm countercultural just for following Jesus. Not, not always hated, but definitely different, but ready to be hated. That's what we see in the Gospels. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of aspects of Christianity that are not culturally normal, so to speak. Cassie, question for us then is like how— how do those things affect how we parent? If we're so different, how does that affect how we parent these kids, our generation right now? Well, I mean, the biggest thing we do as parents is just model life, right? I mean, that's one of our four buckets. We talked about it last season. Uh, it was the very first one we talked about modeling discipleship by 
following Jesus and asking our children to follow us as we follow him. And so that means if we are living counterculturally because we follow Jesus and we live a, a life of obedience to him, then our lives are going to look different. And that means our parenting is going to look very different um, just by modeling that. And so I think that's where that starts uh, for sure. And then it trickles into like all the things, all the areas that you said. It means instead of wanting for our kids to be successful and rich and have the American dream or whatever, we want them to uh, live a life that honors God. And that might mean not successful by the world standards. It, you know, it, all of our terms are redefined. Our hopes are redefined for right. our children. Our goals are redefined for our children. The things that I pray for at night are not uh, for them to have some fairy tale life, but it's for them to, to know God through joys and through sufferings, through uh, serving him. It might mean that they're, they go on the mission field and do really hard things that have me on my knees every night. It might mean, I mean, it just could look like a ton of different things. Um, that are not the things that the world would be considering for the next generation. Totally. I love what you're bringing up there. Like we we have such a God of security and safety and money in the bank. And we we want to counterculturally train our kids that while I do want them to make safe choices, I don't want them to be careless. I, I want them to be careful to an extent. I also don't want them to walk in a lot of cowardice in this world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. saying like anything that's scary, anything that's hard, I want to protect you from. That's not what I want. I want them ready to say, hey, this world that can be a scary place desperately needs a light and that you are the light of the world. The world is dark and the darker places are the most desperate for the light of the world. Yeah. Now, Chelsea, one of the verses that comes to mind for me is Romans 12 too. You've alluded to this already. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Help me apply that one. How does that apply to parents? We talk about that a lot, I think, in churches, just about uh, to individuals. But think about to moms and dads. What does it look like to not conform to the world? I think that key phrase that I love so much in this verse is the renewal of your mind. So it'd be one thing for me to appear to be a steadfast person, um, but really I want my mind renewed on the inside, what no one can see. I want to destroy anxious thoughts. I want to destroy the fear of man, the need in me to be approved of by others, um, the comparison that that steals our joy. I want to, I want to destroy those things, right? And so outwardly it can look our life can look so different that we look like we're not conforming to the world. Um, but remember that God's asking us to love him with our whole mind. And in order to do that, our mind has to be renewed. It has to go through a process of renewal. And so there's things that we want our kids to be so free from that in order to to help impart those things, we have to be practicing those too. And so it can be yeah. easy for us to tell our kids that it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you or to tell our kids to do the bold thing or the courageous thing or um, that our family makes these different choices. But then in my own personal life as an adult, how am I doing that? Uh, we can't impart those things if we don't possess them, right? And so right. Uh, we can't model it like Cassie was talking about. We can't model that if we're not, doing it as well. So it can be easy too to ask our kids to make these outward behavior choices without really teaching about the heart, right? And so 
we can teach our kids about clothes and hair and and we can tell our daughters, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And, and so just do this or just do that. And they can make these outward changes because it pleases mom and dad or because that's what the rule is in our house. But really we want them to have a renewed mind, right? Yeah. We want them to understand what it means to be eternally secure in Christ. We want them to understand what it means to be made in the image of God. And, and so those things happen in our minds. So we can uh, fake it on the outside. We can... Uh, we can do some white knuckle obedience. We can do all those things, but God is asking for our whole heart and our whole mind. Hey friends, it's March. And that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrim's Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com. See all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com. And remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey, listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Cassie, I think about too in that same book, Romans, but in chapter one, it talks about, Paul talks about not being ashamed of the gospel, which obviously also connects to this conversation. I think a lot of the reason people struggle with countercultural parenting is because there's a shame, there's an embarrassment to be different. There's a, a pressure to conform. Why do you think people are so tempted to be ashamed of this gospel that we believe in? It's, if it's truly the power for salvation, why are mm. parents so tempted to be ashamed of it? You know, I was thinking about this question as I read it first, and I, I'm purely speculating here. I've not interviewed a lot of people asking why they're ashamed of the gospel. But I think that first, depending on what our our circle is where we're being countercultural, right? So that can be within our religion. We can be countercultural. That can also be like out in the world where we're being countercultural. And so I think that in some ways we're maybe more ashamed of the church and some church history mm. and hypocrisy. And so then we steer away from Jesus and the gospel because we're afraid it's tainted somehow instead of being bold and courageous and talking about Jesus and trusting that, you know, 
the light of Jesus will shine and, uh, and that we can be a light despite uh, the brokenness of the church and the brokenness of our own lives. And, and so I think there's that that's kind of tethered to it. It feels like a lot of our emotional baggage and history as a church is tied to the gospel. And so we bring that into every like secular relationship that we have. And we don't know how to talk about Jesus because we feel like we have to make explanations for the church in a lot of ways. And then I think in our religious circles, so at church or even in our like in our school settings, when we it feels awkward when you're countercultural within that setting because we're supposed to all be countercultural. And so then there's this right. awkward Absolutely. like, well, I feel like this is right. something convictional for me and so I'm going to stand by it, but that sets me apart. And that's okay. And I can have charity towards you who might have different convictions. And so it's kind of learning to like I said earlier, swim upstream together in some areas, but also not together. I mean, I'll give a really brief example, but our youngest daughter decided to play soccer this semester, which I'm just going to tell you, I'm an indoor sports girl. So this is a leap of faith for the Bryant household to do an outdoor sport. But I was hesitant to sign up because of the time commitment. I'd, I'd like to know when the games are, when the practices are before we sign up. And of course, the practices land on a day that we consider our Sabbath, which are Fridays, which I know is unique. Not all families have Fridays off, but it is our only day off and we pre- protect it as much as we can. And so I felt very awkward having to say that. And they were, I was met with so much grace, but I was like, we won't be making practices. I am so sorry. I mean, it's kindergarten soccer, right? So the yeah. stakes are not high, but I also want my daughter to be a participant. And so I've... I've tried to, I've looped in my brothers to try and teach her some soccer skills because I have nothing to offer her. But all that to say, it can feel awkward to stand up for a conviction that we have, even within our Christian circles, and to feel like mm-hmm. we're yeah. swimming upstream. And I just encourage our listeners and even ourselves to, to take the step towards faith that if we feel like the Spirit's leading us or we feel a conviction about something, to take the step. And you never know who it might bless or who it might encourage to, to live counterculturally as well. No, I love that example, Cassie, because it's not just like, here's a good choice versus a bad choice, and we're tempted to make the bad choice. You're saying, here's my daughter who signed up to be a good teammate, and I want her to be a good teammate. I want her to be on the team. And it also comes up against another good thing our family does, which is yeah. Sabbath together. And so how will our family prioritize that, and how will it make us feel to be different either way? Yeah. You know? On Sabbath rest is countercultural. Yeah. Like that, that in and of itself is like so like, wait, what? People still consider that or do that, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you're happy that you just kissed a college scholarship goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But I I love that you said like, we're not coming to practice. It's not like we're going to miss some practice. Like literally we're not coming to practice. And guess what? In kindergarten and soccer, she going to be just fine. She's going to be just fine. Yeah, she's going to do it. I will. I also feel like I need everyone to know that my daughter does volleyball practice, My other, one of my other daughters, twice a week. So we definitely have made... We, we, you you we mean like to, just, to justify yourself, you need everyone to know no, that, one to of, say that, that one of your kids goes to practice? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean like we do make sacrifices to make things work. I just, I don't know. It's very weird and it feels ambiguous. You don't, and you sometimes don't need to qualify any of this. You're, fine. Yes. You're so free. This is the last place you have to defend yourself, but I'm really impressed that one of your three children goes to their practice. <laughs> <laughs> Twice a week. Uh, we are actually going to do a whole episode, I hope, this season on sports because there's a lot to talk to. Your parents have a lot of hard choices, especially in Texas, I feel like. This is a different animal down here. People are very serious. Yeah, but, it's um, Friday Night Lights. Well, let's talk, we've talked a lot about, you know, from the parenting perspective, and obviously we're parents, but if we're going to raise kids... Uh, that are ready themselves to be countercultural. We have to be, as parents, ready to make some decisions that are countercultural. But how do we, 
I feel like one of the things you mentioned there, Cassie, is not having to do it alone. Like the other people doing it with you. Who, mm-hmm. who comes to mind for you guys? Cassie, Chelsea, who comes to mind for you when you think about someone who showed you how to do this well as a parent, or maybe even think about kids that you saw who had a courage to stand and, and be different. Where have you seen it done well? Oh man. Well, I I think that I think it started with my grandparents. They really they made some countercultural decision cultural decisions for their family and for my mom and my aunt. And I remember them telling stories and they just didn't care about what other people thought and they just did what was best for them. And I think that the way that they did that and then the way that my mom did that and uh, for us, and then I, I think it's generational and that's a blessing for for me to have that. And so I think that's where it would start is because, I mean, even my grandmother still, she does things that are very countercultural. She went and got her undergrad degree, I think like in her 50s, and then she went and got certified in counseling in her 70s. It's like she just keeps pushing the norms and she's amazing. And so I think it probably starts for me there. I think about my high school basketball coach. I went to a public high school and uh, my basketball coach, she wore this like uh, lanyard, you know, with her school badge and her whistle and stuff. And all all the way around it it just said, I love Jesus. I love Jesus all the way around it. And she wore that every day. And that just opened up the door because she knew she was a woman of faith Mm -hmm. and um, her character reflected that too. And so it just opened a door to be able to have um, a grown woman in my life that was a woman of God. And she was just, she was an amazing influence for me and didn't care what anybody thought, didn't apologize uh, for being a woman of God. Uh, She just, she just did it. And uh, I still think about that today and it's been a long time. And so that, that influence was strong for me. That's good. That's a exact kind of freedom. I would love to see our kids walk in. Mm-hmm. Is the freedom to say not not a I don't care what other people think because I don't care about other people, but rather right. because I so right. love Jesus and it is mm-hmm. such an essential part of my identity to be a child of God that there is no uh, nothing out there that can intimidate me to hide it. Nothing out there, and yeah. in our nation, there is no law to restrict it. I can be mm-hmm. a public school teacher and a Christian, and that is okay. I have uh, protections for that, Cassie. When we think about this, I think one of the big things we have to think through as parents, when you talk about just getting down to the brass tacks of the practicals of how to parent counterculturally is knowing how and when do we say no to our kids. That has to be a huge part of this. How do we, because our kids are going to be swimming in this culture. They're, the loudest voices they're going to hear are going to be from uh, musicians and they're going to be from actors and they're mm-hmm. going to be from directors and writers and they're going to be from the books they read in school. There's going to be tons of voices that distract them. So for us to be a voice in their life that says like, well, I don't believe that that you're listening to honors the Lord or that that they would have you read honors the Lord. Or here's a choice that some other family makes, but our family is going to say no. How can we help parents know when and how to say no? When, where do they put up the boundaries like you did with soccer practice? When, mm. how, is there any wisdom to this no conversation? I think it's so funny that you asked this because, well, I have a story the other day. A mom was encouraging me. She was like, you're such a yes mom. <laughs> you just say yes to all the fun things, which is so funny because I think my oldest daughter was like, mm, I feel like she's a no mom. But um, <laughs> She's almost a teenager, I feel like, so that's probably why. But, you know, I think that the no word is, it's like, it's precious and you want to really use it when you have to. And I think that you first have to know what you're saying no to and have fully considered it. 
And so for us, it started when they're really young with even like screen time. So it's not mindlessly letting them watch something without us like first considering it and watching it with them or or listening to something together. And so much of it is like about doing things together and helping them learn to think for themselves and navigate and make these decisions for themselves. And so, I mean, I think the easiest thing for some of the parents might be to say no to all the things, but then they don't have a good reason or they haven't, they don't have a well thought out strategy or plan for discipling their kids and how to think and make these decisions for themselves, which Jen has talked about before in the podcast. And I think we're going to have her on and she'll help us with some of this later. But all that to say, I also think that the word wait would also be a good word on some things that they maybe want to do when they're not, it's just not ready. It's like, this just isn't the time. And so we're going to say, wait, we're not going to say no to this. We're going to say, wait. Um, And there's an opportunity to build trust with your children so that then you can start saying yes to things uh, that then you can debrief together. So I hope that makes sense. But, um, and then there are things you're going to say no to because we say no to them ourselves. So Mm. it's like, we don't eat dessert for dinner every night. Would it taste good? Yeah, we don't do that. So, you know, if that, if that, if my kids thought that was an option they asked every night, we would definitely say no. So there are definitely things that we will say no to. But I think more importantly, it's like, what, why are we saying no? Like having a really well thought out reason and a plan um, with your spouse and then having really open dialogue with that, not just being kind of the no parent. That's good. I think that weight is really helpful. And I, I think especially I, I, when I think about that, I think of very easy examples in our life where other parents have said yes to things. And I wouldn't say they made a bad decision, but I would say, well, they have already said yes to something. We're going to say, wait, we're going to wait. Uh, there's kids, um, our kids' ages that are watching movies that are much higher ratings than the movies we let our kids watch. And we may say, hey, we may watch that movie as a family one day, but not yet. Uh, not at the age you're at. And so we're going to, we're going to really garner what we're letting influence you. There's some books that some other kids are reading that I'm going to say, hey, yeah, I'm not saying you can never read it, but not yet. We're not reading that yet. And some of them, I do have to question and go like, is it ever good? If it, if it should be a no now, is there any time at which I would say, but it's okay later. But Oh yeah, having kids has totally done that for us. It's like, wait, if we wouldn't let them do it, why would we, yeah. why are we okay with it? And some of that is like our maturity, obviously. But there's also things that it's like, if it's not edifying or beneficial, then yeah. what's the point? And some of that we talked about in the season yeah. one when, when we had that episode on influences. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one really important aspect of this conversation, too, that I want to make sure is crystal clear. So when somebody asks Jesus, what is the most important commandment? He says is to love God. But he also says the second is like it, to love everyone. And one of the temptations in this conversation, or maybe one of the easy outs, would be to villainize the people who make different decisions than us or who live in this culture, who are are going with the culture, to kind of portray them as not just different, but wrong in a way that makes them a villain. Chelsea, if we're called to love everyone, how do we parent counterculturally without our kids or parents or parents villainizing people that uh, maybe believe differently than us or act differently than us? How do we keep our commitment to loving people and teaching our kids to love people while still being countercultural? Yeah, that's a good question. This is important to think about. As we talk about being countercultural, y'all, it is countercultural to not villainize someone that thinks differently yeah. than yes. you. Amen. Right? Right now in our culture, as it, as it plays out on TV or on social media, if someone thinks differently about sexuality, then that person will be portrayed as a fool, as someone who has nothing to offer. If someone thinks differently about abortion, 
than, than Christians do. They can be portrayed as um, heartless, thoughtless. They hate women or they, um, or some people hate babies or they hate women or, or whatever, and just cast this cloud over them to make them look so worthless. And yeah. so just to be people who don't villainize, mm-hmm. people that don't see eye to eye with us, that in and of itself is countercultural. But I would say we have to think about as as Christians, like, do we, do we mourn for the lost? Mm-hmm. What do we have in Christ? And do we, do we believe that it is a loss mm-hmm. that other people, that some people don't know him, yeah. right? The Bible says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit. We're talking about love and peace and patience. Do we wish that everyone had that? Do we wish everyone felt the security of salvation? Do we wish everyone felt cleansed from their sin? Do we wish everyone felt like they were known by a God that loved them unconditionally? And so when we think about people who disagree with us, I think our primary emotion around that should be some sort of grief or lament for the loss. Um, something that comes to mind when we talk about this, I think about um, for any of our listeners who've seen this sh- that show, The Chosen. Okay, that show cannot replace your Bible, but <laughs> I love the depiction of Christ because it just I think they do a great job of capturing his tenderness and his gentleness towards people, even people who don't like him. Um, Adam and I used to have a counselor that we loved. Remember, Adam, how he would always say when talking to people who, who disagree with us, having the mind of Christ to say, I care about you, yeah. even if I don't care what you think about me, right? So not yeah. not feeling like, worried that someone will hate us for what we think? How do we care about somebody without being worried what they think or disagree with someone and still love them? And so we've got to be showing our kids that all these people are made in the image of God. And while we don't look down on them from a place of arrogance, say like, they just don't know what we know, Mm -hmm. but say like, we want to pray for our neighbors that they might feel the joy of understanding this God who made us male and female or the joy of a God who's, whose ways are higher, who calls us away from sin mm-hmm. and into a different type of lifestyle in some ways, you know, and want good things for our neighbors. So, I mean, really this comes from a place of, of cultivating what God, cultivating in our heart what God says is true about us, that we were made in his image and that we were made to know him and enjoy him forever. Um, and so where we see this lacking in the lives of people around us, that we mourn it, that we pray for it, and that we still can celebrate other people in our life, even if they don't think what we think because they're made in God's image, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things that um, Chelsea, you and I have talked a lot throughout COVID about is kind of the sifting of the church is the, what the pandemic did to us in some sense was show who was making a decision to go to church because it was convenient Mm. or maybe it was cool. And then suddenly when it wasn't convenient for anybody who was still committed to be part of not just the gathering, but the body of Christ locally, and how that can be really good for a church. Sometimes when we talk about this cultural discussion, and I just want to close out with this, we get kind of a fearful, but what will happen to to the church or to Christianity if it's not cool, if it's not mainstream? What will happen to us? And I think there's something to be um, admired, something, you know, not always good, but something that we can look forward to, to have a healthier church if we're not just having people that it's culturally okay to claim Christ, but not walk with him. If following Christ really is countercultural, that maybe there's a healthier church on the other side of having to make that division. Chelsea, how does, 
How does the sifting of the church, how is that good for the church? Well, it's a dangerous thing for people to be in our churches believing that they know God if they really don't, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. One of the scariest portions of Scripture is where Jesus talks about people who will say, we, we perform miracles in your name and we prophesy in your name, and he's going right. to say, I don't know you. Mm. Doesn't that, I mean, that really like, it's, it, it cuts me to my core. That, that is not where I want to be one day. Is saying, I, oh, I thought I was following you and have Jesus say, I didn't know you. Um, and so I, this question makes me think of the, um, the wealthy man who comes to Jesus and asks, you know, what are the most important commandments? And Jesus tells him some, and the young man says, all these I've kept, what still do I lack? And Jesus says, if you'd be perfect, go and sell everything you possess and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the Bible says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. But in that moment, he at least knows that he loves the possessions. Yeah. I think what's so tricky in our church is when people, yeah. when we think- they're self-deceived. Yes, when they're deceived when, or any- any idea where in our church in America where we think we can have one foot in this world and one foot out, right. um, or that we can have we can have both, we can have yeah, two uh, the masters, luxurious. Right? Yes, yeah, so we can serve two masters, and that's just not true. So it's not that we want to see people leaving the church, um, but we don't want anyone to be deceived into thinking that that right. they love yeah. and serve the one true God and simultaneously serve money or serve favor with man or or something else. So that's just not good for us. But the church throughout all history has has flourished under persecution. Whenever it looks like there's a great sifting, there's also a great movement. Yeah. yeah. So we don't have anything to fear, right? Jesus said. That, that the church is going to prevail, right? So yeah. we don't have Amen. to be afraid. I wonder if there's a, a good question we could be asking with our family of like, what is it costing us to follow Jesus? That's and if good. it's not costing us anything, are we swimming upstream? Yeah. yeah. Um, because it, I think that that's what, when you talk about the rich young ruler and when we, I mean, it's all over. I mean, the Bible has a ton to say about this. Yeah. So I think asking ourselves that and just spending a little bit of time thinking about, what does it cost our family or me pers- like us personally? And if That's it good. hasn't, then am I, am I doing it right? Or sh- are there things that we maybe need to be doing differently? Yeah, it's kind of family diagnostic. I like that question because, and to make it clear to the listener, we don't believe that the, we believe that the gospel is free to those who believe in Jesus Christ, right? It's mm-hmm. not merited, yeah. but that following Jesus will cost you everything. Yeah, You will be surrendering your attempt to be king of your life to the actual king. And so you will surrender your desires, your hopes, your goals, your beliefs, your credo to the true God. And that is good and that is freeing and that is obedient and that is costly. And in fact, like you said, Cassie, it's all over scripture where Jesus doesn't just warn, he promises those who follow me will experience what I've experienced, which is not widespread popularity it's actually in nonconformity. It's a, it's a lot of people who did not like Jesus Christ. It's why in John 17, when he prays for us, those who will come to believe in him through the, the, the witness of the disciples, he prays that we would be set apart, mm-hmm. that we would be holy. And what we are set apart from is a world that does not love Jesus. And so to be consecrated, to be set apart is not to look just like the world, but also have an mm-hmm. opinion that Jesus was a real man who resurrected from the dead. But to be set apart from the world is to follow Jesus, even if the world thinks it's foolish. Because the wisdom of God is going to look like foolishness to this world. 
Well, I feel like my appetite is wet for the season. There is a lot that we are going to talk about specifically in specific issues. We've got some incredible guests. I'm pumped. This is a good conversation that needs to be had. Cassie, Chelsea, thanks for getting it started with me. And you listeners, thank you for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review, five stars, wherever you listen to the podcast. Would you also maybe visit one of our sponsors, share this episode with one of your friends. And if you want to keep up with us, you can join the conversation at uh, Instagram, Facebook, follow us, the Family Discipleship Podcast. We love you. We're looking forward to all God has for us this fall. We will see you next week.